Good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Round Podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday. If you're a Bills fan, this is probably the couple days yesterday, today, tomorrow, Thursday, where you can take a breath, relax. Thursday, Friday, you start to feel it a little bit. Saturday, it's almost game day, and Saturday night, it's go time. Bills get a win. We're going to talk certainly a lot about that. There was some officiating, which as a former basketball official, I always take great interest in the officiating and the process of them getting it right, or in this case, getting a lot of things wrong. We're going to talk a lot about the other games in the NFL. Another coach added to the coaching carousel, Doug Peterson, two years after winning the Super Bowl, gets gassed in Philadelphia. That's a little surprising, and, you know, if you've been following the podcast, I talk about it all the time. There's always five or six that are easily – you know five or six guys were going to get fired. But then there's always a surprise or two. So we had six, three during the season, three on Black Monday, and now this one being the seventh. It's amazing. You know, 32 of these jobs and almost 25% of them annually turn over. And that may not be enough. So there's a lot going on in the NFL National Championship game. Alabama last night throttled Ohio State. Cues back on the court. Marek down a tooth. And, of course, if you didn't think I was going to hit my Mets acquiring Francisco Lindor, you haven't been listening to me for over the last four or five years. Certainly going to get that. But let's talk about the Bills-Colts. And, you know, it's funny. The Bills, I didn't think, played a great game, especially defensively. And as this season has come along, and we realize that Josh Allen is one of the better quarterbacks in the league right now, it's all about, to me, the defense. Can the defense do enough to support the offense? The offense is going to score points generally. I don't think there's a defense left in the AFC that can slow down the Bills' offense. The the Test will be this Saturday night against the Ravens. This offense is not multiple, though, so it makes it a little easier. So when you're a playoff team and Indy's defense was excellent, you know they're going to take something away. Well, they took away the run game, and the run game completely ineffective on Saturday for the Bills. Devin Singletary had only three carries, 21 yards. Zach Moss, who's now gone for the year with an ankle injury, seven carries, 21 yards. Josh Allen did run it 11 times, 54 yards. We saw Brian Dable bring back those quarterback sweeps that they ran a lot of. At this point, I'm okay with that. You know, During the season, you don't want to expose your quarterback to hits. You don't want to get him hurt. Uh, guess what? This is winning time. And all those, you know, we don't want to get guys hurt rules go out the window because it's about winning a game. And I, I look at the playoffs much like March Madness in basketball, survive in advance. And the Bills did that. It wasn't pretty. They got beat up in a lot of key statistics. You look at some of the things that they did not do well. Control the ball. Indy had the ball for 34 minutes, 17 seconds. The Bills didn't get Indy off the field. Their downs, Indy was 9-17, 52%. It's bad defense right there. And conversely, the Bills were only 2-9 of nine on third down. Those are key statistics this time of year. But... Regardless of all those things, not being able to run the ball and 
Indy ran the ball quite well. They got 163 yards rushing. Both Hines and Taylor got over 70 yards. It was a, it was a good day for Indy's running attack. Phillip Rivers didn't turn it over. Phillip Rivers always turns it over. He did not turn it over. In spite of that, the Bills got a win. And I think that's the important thing to remember, that in the playoffs, nothing matters except the final result. It's the only thing that matters. And the Bills got a win, and they're going to play the Ravens on Saturday night. Now, Josh Allen was the Bills in this game. He was the star. He was the offense. He was by far the best player on the field, in my opinion. And, it, you know, we've talked all year long about how this kid has made such enormous strides. It, it, it's mind-boggling to me, really, that, you know, we're talking about Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Wait, what? Yeah. This, this kid is in his third year gone from somebody that half the people in the media think shouldn't even be in the league, the other half thinking he was a wasted draft pick, to right now he's the third best quarterback in the NFL. And he's carrying his team. His passing numbers, 28 to 35, 324 and three touchdowns. I mentioned the 54 yards rushing. He had a touchdown on the ground too. Just Another example of the growth of Josh Allen. Stephon Diggs was a key part of it. Cole Beasley gutted it out. Beasley's numbers weren't great, 7 for 57. But when you saw Beasley coming back to the huddle or the sideline, you could see this guy is not close to 100%, but he's out there gutting it out. Diggs, 6 for 128 and a touchdown. The big touchdown late was huge. But to me, the concern was the Bills' defense, especially late and especially when the Colts went hurry up. And if I'm a team scouting the Bills, I I notice two things right away. They struggle to stop the run, and that's not a good thing with Baltimore coming to town. They also struggle on, on crossing routes that are shallow crosses. They generally handle the deep Routes pretty well. Trey White does a great job on the outside. But when you start running across the middle, whether it be zone or even man-to-man, I don't think the Bills do a very good job of covering those routes. And unfortunately for the Bills, those are the routes that Lamar Jackson throws the best. We're not going to get ahead of ourselves. But defensively, I don't like the way this stacks up. Brian Dable did a pretty good job on Saturday. I didn't think it was one of his better games. And especially late in the game, the Bills are driving. There's about three-ish minutes left. They just pick up a first down. Clock is running. On first down, he has Josh Allen pass. And, and, and look, I get it. At that point, Zach Moss is out of the game. He's been your finisher all year. You run the football there. I'm sorry. You run the football first and second downs and possibly third down as well. You do not let Josh Allen throw the ball there as much as he's grown. If it's incomplete, the clock stops. You can't take a sack. And God forbid you turn the ball over. You run the ball even if it's no gain. It's a positive play because the clock continues to run. You're on the edge of field goal range, but the field goal really means nothing because – it's still a one-score game. you got to force Indy to score a touchdown to beat you. But they don't get to tie it with a field goal. I just thought that one play call was, was really short-sighted. And the result of it, Allen 
getting sacked, fumbling, was nearly disastrous. Daryl Williams falls on it. That's something, again, I talked a lot about last week, that Sean McDermott's got to grow as a head coach in these playoffs and get better and use his timeouts more judiciously. Brian Dable's got to understand the big picture of the game and not just call the play that he thinks is the best play call. Play the game to the clock in, in certain situations, and he didn't do that there, needs to be better. All right, so I mentioned McDermott, and I mentioned his timeout usage. He used the timeout after that play. Can't happen. You're in a situation where it's a one-score game, as I mentioned. Field goal ties it. Touchdown puts you up. You can't waste the timeout there, but he did, which left him with only one because they took a timeout earlier. And what I thought was a pretty poor way of man- – look, guys don't jump off sides on fourth and one anymore. They ended up getting a field goal out of it with Tyler Bass, but I hate the timeout there. If you're going to kick a field goal, get Tyler Bass out there and let him kick the field goal. The longer you think about it, the longer he thinks about it, it's worse for the execution. So that's two bad timeouts by Sean McDermott. However, the good timeout is what we now have to talk about because late in the game, and first I'm going to show you the play live, and this is what happened with about, well, at the end of the play, there was about 28 seconds left where, in my opinion, the Bills have won the game. Take a look at the play first. All pop free from what I saw before. So Gene Steratore is going to join us right now. He's watching this in real time just like us. I know he can. Yeah, I, and I agree with Charles. Look, Zach Pascoe goes down on his own, but he's not giving himself up. So now he gets up off of the ground, not touched down by contact, in my opinion, with any body part down that would have put him down there. And then as he is being tackled, to me, the ball comes loose prior to him or a body part hitting the ground, which would have put him down by contact. I believe this is a fumble, guys. So now that you see the play, we've all seen it a bunch of times. Let's go through a few things. The only question as to whether or not it was a fumble was, did Jordan Poyer's hand get on Pascal's back while his knee was still on the ground? Now, if you piece those clips together, it's clear and obvious, which is the standard for overturning things in the NFL by replay. It's that, That's the way it's written, clear and obvious, those two words. It's clear and obvious that, Pascal's knee is off the ground prior to Poyer's hand being in his back. But the NFL didn't see it that way. They did not overturn that call. The Bills had a clear recovery. It's 28 seconds left. Indy's out of timeouts. Game over. Absolutely game over. But they didn't do that. They stuck with the play on the field after a lengthy review. Now, Al Riveron has been awful at his job. For years, his job was created with Dean Blandino in mind. Dean Blandino followed his mentor, Mike Pereira, to Fox, where they're both paid handsomely, don't have to travel to games, don't have to make these big decisions in games. Unfortunately for the NFL, they did not have somebody groomed to succeed Dean Blandino. What happened was Pereira went to Fox. Blandino took over from Pereira as the head of NFL officiating. Great. 
you had a seamless transition because both guys were great at their job. Now, Blandino leaves. Unfortunately, Riveron has not been great at his job. He's not even been good at his job. And if you can't get replay right, what's the sense of having it? You you think about this game. That play has the Colts in a good position to potentially get a field goal, tie it up, and win the game. This would have been the equivalent of the Rams-Saints game a couple years ago when the Rams went to the Super Bowl, not the Saints. It's just unacceptable to me. If a guy misses a call at full speed, and if you've ever officiated at a higher level, you understand how quick plays happen and how quick your mind has to process. The higher the level, the greater the quickness, the more need for the official to be able to process quickly. For the most part, the men and women of the NFL do a pretty good job of doing that. I think where they get themselves in trouble is plays like this, where replay should get it right and doesn't. Now, that would have been an impossible call, I think, to get live because if you look at it, it's close. But it's also clear and obvious. And those two things can happen at the same time. I mentioned Mike Pereira a couple times, my guy. Listen to Mike Pereira talk about that play. Man, back in my day as a head of officiating, I would have gone, phew, Buffalo ended up in winning anyways. But how about near the end of the game on the pass to Pascal, who then gets up, goes to the ground, gets up, doesn't give himself up, I'm sure, gets up, advances, fumble, ball recovered by Buffalo. No stop, no stop, no stop. Wait a minute, Buffalo calls a timeout, but replay says, don't wait, we stopped it at the same time. So they went to look at it, Pascal is getting the knee, is the knee up off the ground when Poyer touches him with the left hand. I think everybody, including Gene Steratore, thought it was a fumble. There was a clear recovery. I mean, could they possibly be looking at Poyer's right foot? I don't think so. But to me, it's pretty obvious that it was a fumble and a recovery by the Bills, which in the end would have meant the game would just have ended a little bit earlier, which would have been okay, too. So, man, lucky sometimes. Better to be lucky than good. That's what I used to say when I ran the department. Unfortunately for the NFL, that man is telling us what happened instead of telling the officials on the field what they should be doing. It's just, it can't happen. You've got an $8 billion annual business, and one man in his department is not up to the task. You, You think about any big business. Right? They're all department heads. And maybe you could think of one where you work, where one person, their department suffers because the leadership of that. And yet this guy's paid a huge amount of money or this woman's paid a huge amount of money and don't get the job done. That's Al Riveron. He has paid an enormous sum of money to get things right, to slow them down and look at them and get them right. And he can't do it. And it's either that, and I'm going to throw this out there, or he doesn't have the balls to get it right. Because let's be honest. That play right there ends the game. The Bills win, move on. Andy goes home. You got to have a sack to make a call like that. And, you know, to me, and and as a guy who's been out there, I know guys that don't have the balls to make that call. They're not good officials, in my opinion. But if you don't, you shouldn't be in that situation. And I don't know that Al Riveron has the balls to make the call in that situation and end the game. And he's not ending the game. Pascal is, or Milano is, or 
Jordan Poyer is because of the plays they made. The players make the plays. The officials interpret the play and apply the rules to them. They're not ending the game. They're just adjudicating what happened. It's it's the chicken shit way out of a no call in a key situation. That's what that was. And I really believe that El Riveron didn't have the balls to make that play. Here's another part of this play and the sequence that led up to it. When Poyer recovered the fumble, the referees stopped the clock because, remember, they didn't rule it a fumble. They ruled Pascal down. Why are you stopping the clock? You just did Indy a favor. Indy's got to hurry up. They've got no timeouts left. Why are you stopping the clock to get the ball set? There's no need to stop the clock. So they gave Indy a break there. Sean McDermott smartly called the timeout. Now, the NFL claims, their claim is, that they take as much time as they can to look at the play and wait till the last possible second to buzz in. No, that's not acceptable in this situation because you know Indy's going fast. You know you have a potential game-ending play. Replay's got to look at it. I fully believe that if Sean McDermott doesn't call timeout, New York doesn't even look at that play. Again, that's unacceptable. That's why replay's got to go because it's unacceptable and it doesn't work. The system is broken. Fortunately, McDermott calls a timeout, and fortunately, he had a timeout because he spends them like a drunk at the bar, spends his last $5. He he doesn't value timeouts, and in playoff games, it's huge. If he doesn't call timeout, they don't even take a look at it. But McDermott smartly calls timeout. They have to look at it. After a long review, they come up with the wrong answer. They then put the ball back where Pascal's Knee was down, allegedly, and wind the clock from there with about 28 seconds left. The first play after that was a swing pass from Rivers to Michael Pittman. Pittman is going towards the sideline, fumbles the ball out of bounds. The official on the sideline stops the clock. Now, under two minutes, if you fumble a football, the only person who can recover it is the person who fumbled it. Also, If you fumble it out of bounds forward, the clock continues to run. So Pittman fumbled the ball forward. They rightly moved it back to where the fumble occurred, but they stopped the clock again, giving Indy, I don't care if it's four or five more seconds. That's another play in the last two minutes. It was a debacle. It's been smoothed over because the Bills moved on. But if the Bills had lost this game, this officiating situation or these situations would be talked about forever. Can't happen. Horrible job by the NFL. The guys on the field didn't get it right twice, in my opinion. The guys in New York certainly got it wrong in a big way. And it just can't go on. You can't decide games. I get it that this year the NFL doesn't care about what's happening on the field as much. They just want to get the games in. But we're in the playoffs now. You can't say, well, it, it, it worked out. It's okay. No, no, it's not good enough. El Riveron's got to go. And whether it's Dean Blandino or somebody else who comes back to take that job, I, I don't know who's ready to take that job. Somebody else has to because this can't continue on. One other thing before I move off of the Bills Colts, Jimmy Johnson who is, in my opinion, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the NFL, 
Jimmy used to talk about the three phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. And he used to talk about if he won on two of those three, he would win the game. If he won all three, he'd win the game easily. But the goal was always win two of three. And the Bills offense, well, they they beat the Colts defense. The Colts defense certainly – or Colts offense certainly built, beat the Bills defense. So one and one. But the Bills special teams, and I don't think enough is being talked about this year, and rightly so. We're, we're not going to talk about kickers and return guys a whole lot. But the Bills special teams played a huge role in this game. Blankenship misses a field goal. Moss hits – or Bass hits – a 54-yarder in 30-degree weather. That's a, that's a pretty big kick. I don't need a kicker with one eye black flexing after it, but that's a pretty big kick. And Corey Bjorkis was great again. 43-and-a-half net average on his punts. He's been fantastic. The Bills' kicking game is very good. Andre Roberts is, is excellent as a returner. The special teams have really improved this year, and it's a big part of the success. And keep that in mind on Saturday when the Bills and Ravens play. John Harbaugh made his bones prior to becoming a great head coach for the Ravens as a special teams coordinator. Ravens always have great special teams. So this is going to be an area that I don't think the Bills will have an advantage, but they better at least play it to a draw. The rest of the game is Saturday and Sunday. Rams and Seattle. Good good football game if you like defense and hitting. Russell Wilson, though, I don't know what happened the second half of the season. Remember early in the season it was let Russ cook, and then Russ came to Buffalo and threw a bunch of interceptions, and the season just seemed to go down from there. Aaron Donald was a beast again, two sacks. Just crazy how good he is. But Russell Wilson, 11-27, 174 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. This is the guy that they were given the MVP to in week six. I, I don't know what's going on there. They ran the ball fairly well. Chris Carson had a decent game, but I just don't get it. The Seahawks defense has been great the last few weeks. They cheaply knock out John Wofford, bring in Jared Goff, who probably shouldn't have been playing after the surgery in his thumb. He wasn't all that effective, but Cam Akers seems to be – the guy that's moving this Rams train. Defensively, certainly it's Aaron Donald. But on the offensive side, if Cam Akers can stay healthy, and he hasn't been all year, but 131 yards and a touchdown against Seattle. The Bucks beat the Redskins, the Washington football team. Sorry, I'll put a dollar in the swear jar. Brady was really good, 381, two touchdowns. Mike Evans, a week before, they were afraid he was out for the season. Yeah, well, not so much. Six for 119. He's going to be even better this week with another week to rest. To, to rest. But Tyler Heineke of the Washington football team, you want to talk about a guy who went from obscurity to mad respect. 26 of 44, 306, a touchdown, a pick, ran for his life all night, 46 yards on the ground, dove in for a touchdown. He gave – Washington a chance to win this game because he gutted it out. I think that young man will sign a backup contract somewhere, make himself some money. Really, really nice performance. Ravens and Titans. Titans jumped out to a 10 to nothing lead, and you're thinking, well, with Derrick Henry, this is trouble. But Lamar Jackson, 
his legs, he can he can change a game in a play, and he did so. A 48-yard touchdown run. And the Ravens, they stopped Derrick Henry. Henry only for the game had 40 yards. Ryan Tannehill wasn't able to take advantage of a defense that was set up to stop the run. He was 18 to 26 or 165. And, you know, there was a play in this game that Mike Vrabel, you're fourth and two at about the 42, I think it was a 42 yard line, 10 minutes left in the game. You have some balls, dude. It's the playoffs. Go for it. Kicked it away. Lamar Jackson took him down. Game over. Bad decision by Vrabel. I, I, I did not understand it. And worse, the uh, announcing crew during the game didn't question it. Did not question that he didn't go for it. So strange. It was very, very strange to me. But is what it is. Saints beat the Bears pretty easily, 21-9. to Alvin Kamara, another nice day. Mitch Trubisky. Had a good year, and you know what? He he was hurt by a huge drop in the end zone, so maybe it's not all him. I just I don't see Trubisky being a guy that could – look, Mitch Trubisky will be in the NFL for another 10 years. And if he's your backup quarterback, you're in good shape. But I just don't think you build an offense or a team around Mitch Trubisky. I, I just don't see it. The Saints defense has been nasty, too. They They are the reason – the Saints are where they are. And the, the surprising game was the last game. The Browns shocking the Steelers, and not only shocking, they put 48 up on them. And first play of the game, Pouncey snaps it over Ben's head, goes in the end zone, Browns recover, touchdown. Baker was pretty good, three touchdowns. Chubb is what he is. Kareem Hunt, two touchdowns. Ben, though, four interceptions. You know, you look at the numbers, right? Threw for 500 yards, 68 times. If he was a young pitcher, they would have taken him out because of a pitch count. Fortunately, he's an old war horse, four touchdowns. Juju had a nice night. The Steelers battled back. And, I, you know, one thing about Mike Tomlin, his teams, they don't quit. They never will quit. And they didn't quit Sunday. They had every chance to quit, but they did not. He played hard right to the final whistle. Give a lot of credit for that. But there was a moment at the end of the game, not a moment, a few moments actually, where Roethlisberger sitting on the bench in tears by himself. Pouncey went over and sat next to him. The two of them just not really talking, just kind of being there. And you wonder, and you look at the ages of those guys and the careers of those guys, is that the last time we ever saw it? That's what it felt like to me, that Ben Roethlisberger was sitting on that bench contemplating it's maybe the last time I ever strap these this helmet on and maybe the last time I, I play. I, I kind of get the feeling it's time for a change in Pittsburgh. They talked a lot about it during the telecast, the impending free agency that's coming up. I, I think it's time to move on. And frankly, I don't think it's a, a complete rebuild because I think you can find a Matt Ryan or a Matthew Stafford or another quarterback who's got the ability to come in and keep things going fairly, fairly well. The, the Steelers need to revamp that offensive line. Defense is still very good. You get Devin White back and you get uh, Bud Dupree back. All of a sudden, you've got an excellent defense again. I, I think there's enough talent defensively to, to win games, but offensively, they've got to figure out a way to run the football. 
I think that's fixable. Maybe you don't go from a bad offensive line or an average offensive line to great one year, but I think they can do better. And I think a different quarterback with more arm strength to threaten the ball down the field, I think is something that needs to be done. So something to keep an eye on there. Let's talk about the games this weekend. The Bills host the Ravens. Bills are two-point favorites. The Ravens have won four of the last five. Josh Allen is 0-2 against Lamar Jackson. You have to think that Josh knows that very well. The last meeting, Josh was arguably it was the worst game he ever played. He was sacked six times, 17 to 39, 146 yards, and a touchdown. He only ran the ball twice for nine yards. Lamar in that game, 16 to 25, 144, 145 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. The Bills played from behind in that game. And and I think, as I said about the Indy game, putting the pressure on Phillip Rivers, to me, this is one of the big keys to this game. And let's go through the keys to this game. The Bills need to score. This is not a game where you're going to win 17-13. I don't think the Bills' defense can slow down Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' offense. I think this is a 35-31 game, and possibly whoever has it last gets the win. The Bills need to score. The offense needs to finish drives. Touchdowns, not field goals, as we've talked about. The run game. Devin Singletary is going to be the run game this week, and you wonder who's going to come in and and replace Zach Moss. Is it TJ Yeldon, who does such a nice job catching the ball out of the backfield? He's got experience. Do they go with Antonio Williams, who showed some things in that Week 17 game against the Dolphins? I don't know who it's going to be, but I'm going to give you the number 15. And that's the number of carries that, in my opinion, Devin Singletary has to have. You can't just throw the ball 55 times. You can't be the Steelers. Simply put, I just talked about that with Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. You can't do that. You've got to be multiple. Ravens are certainly going to come out. Their secondaries are strength. They're going to do everything they can to pressure Josh Allen. They're going to do everything they can to limit Stephon Diggs. Run the football. The opportunities should be there. It's got to happen. Lamar Jackson is its so amazing to me. You watch an NFL game, and the guys that play the game are the greatest athletes in the world. They're, it's just amazing. The size, the speed, the ferociousness, all of these things. If you've ever been close to an NFL game, you know what I'm talking about. And they're all at the same level. You know, all linebackers run 4-5, 4-6. Wide receivers run 4-4, 4-5. Running backs 4-5. Every now and then you get a guy who runs a 4-3 or 4-2, and they stand a little bit ahead. But when you watch Lamar Jackson, it's it, the only other player in, in the league that I think is like this is Tyreek Hill of the Kansas City Chiefs. Lamar Jackson's so much better of an athlete than everyone else on the field that he looks like the one kid we all grew up with. You know the kid when you played football in the street that if he got it, if little Jimmy got it, nobody caught him. Everyone else, you'd catch him eventually. Everyone else, but if Jimmy got the ball, no, Jimmy was gone. (laughs) Just the way it was. There's always that one kid. But when you ascend to the highest level, How you're still that one kid, I don't know. And Lamar Jackson is. The Bills need to find a way to put hits on him. 
It's not easy to do. Last time they played, they did put a hit on him that really limited him with his running ability. Try to do so again. I also think spying with not Tremaine Edmonds, I think Matt Milano, because I think Milano's faster. And I think even if you spied him with a Dean Marlowe or somebody along those lines, Taron Johnson, you got to have a D-back almost speed-wise to spy him because if you're not fast enough, it doesn't matter if you know that he's running, you got to still be able to catch him. So you got to hit Lamar Jackson. The tight end position is huge for the Ravens. Mark Andrews is that guy. Matt Milano will spend a lot of time on him. I think that's a pl- that's a key matchup in this game. Force Lamar to throw it down the field. He can do so. I'm not one of these who doesn't think he can, but he's certainly much better at the short crosses over the middle. And again, that's a weakness of the Bills' defense. Special teams, I mentioned it. John Harbaugh doesn't lose special teams battles. Bills this year, their special teams have been great. Take advantage of your kicking game. Continue to win the special teams battle because I don't think that you're going to win your defensive battle. Can't give up the deep balls. Can't let anything come easy for Lamar. No big touchdowns. You know, you, the old uh, John Facenda NFL matriculate the ball down the field, force them to do so. Force them to run it with Gus Edwards and DK Robbins and, and, and Lamar and maybe even Mark Ingram. But that's the game plan. You've got to keep the ball in front of you as if you're Poyer and Hyde. Nothing easy down the field and in the open field. You got to make tackles. The Bills tackling has not been good. It's their defense overall hasn't been good. It's got to be better. And Brian Dayball, I mentioned this as well. Run the ball to close out the game. If you have a lead, don't give the ball back. Burn that clock. The clock is as important in a playoff game as any other aspect. And McDermott with the timeouts. Hopefully the fact he saved that one timeout and didn't piss it away like he did the other two and was able to use that in what would have been a game-ending situation, hopefully he learns from that because it's certainly he needs to learn from that. So there's a lot going on this week. It's going to be a great matchup. And, you know, if you're a Bills fan and I just, you know, made you a little more nervous, well, it's the playoffs. You're one game away from the AFC Championship. It's not supposed to be easy, and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a difficult task, one that the Bills can win. And frankly, if they do, the fact that the Bills would be in the AFC Championship, it's a great, great thing for the organization living in Western New York. It's a great thing for all of us. You see it. You see the joy. Let's face it. 2020 zapped us of joy. The Bills are putting joy back into Western New York. They really are. And, you know, the Sabres start tomorrow night, and that's going to zap a lot of joy out of Western New York. So let's just ride the train while we can. The other games that we have going on, the first game on Saturday is the Rams at Green Bay. And with the Rams offense, with Goff being hurt, Aaron Donald being dinged, I would expect Green Bay to win this fairly easily. They're favored by seven. If Cam Akers can run the ball well, it keeps the Rams in the game. And that's a lot to put on a rookie. But I think, you know, again, we always talk about this. Playoffs, run the football, stop the run. And that's what scares me about the Bills. Well, 
guess what? That scares me about the Rams as well because on the other side of the field, the other Aaron. We know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Aaron Jones has had a great year this year, over 1,100 yards. Cooper Cup is banged up. I don't know if he'll be able to go. I just think this one is fairly simple to see that the Packers move on. The first game on Sunday of the Browns at KC, and you know KC's offensive line is dinged up. I don't know the status of Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but they haven't been the same offensive team since he got hurt. And the offensive line lost a few people. But with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, you don't likely have Denzel Ward for Cleveland. The Browns can run the football, which I think is a way to keep Mahomes off the field with Chubb and Hunt. And I would think Kareem Hunt is going to be looking at this game and really trying to have a big impact on it. Can Baker play smart enough to keep them in? Ten-point spread might be a lot, but Kansas City's almost certainly coming out of that one. And then the older game, I mean the late game, I mean they're late and old. Brady against Breeze, the networks will love this, 43 versus 42. To me, it doesn't come down to those two. It comes down to the defense. I talked all year about New Orleans being a defense first team. Well, you look at Tampa's defense, that defensive line with guys like JPP and Ndamukong Sue, Vita Vea, there's a lot of talent on that defensive line. If Kamara can't get going and the pressure is on Breeze, I think Breeze can beat that Tampa secondary. That one's going to be tough. It, it's going to be the, the injury thing's going to be huge. Does Devin White was out for COVID? Does he come back for Tampa? I think he can. Uh, I'm not sure how good he's going to be because, you know, when you miss games and you're not healthy, you never know. And there's a huge potential injury with Trey Henderson, who missed last week's game. He had 13 and a half sacks, neck injury. Does he come back for New Orleans? You know, Cam Jordan in the middle of that defensive line can just take over games. Is he able to do so? That one's going to be fun for a lot of reasons. So great weekend of football. And, you know, in my opinion, this weekend, is the best weekend of football that the NFL gives to us every year. So it should be good. And I, I really hope COVID to this point, we haven't heard anything. Kevin Stefanski likely back and, you know, Brown's likely healthy with the COVID situation. Let's just hope we don't have any key COVID players affected. And I mentioned earlier, Doug Peterson out Philly, big off season for them. Who's their quarterback? Who's their coach? this is a franchise that I'm not sure they know what direction they're going in. So keep your eye on that national championship game last night, Alabama just throttled Ohio state, just throttled them and 52, 24 wasn't even that close. In my opinion, Nick Saban, now seven national championships, greatest coach in college football history. In my opinion, he has one more than bear Bryant, six of those, at Alabama, of course, the one at LSU. And the star power on the offense. And Alabama, here's why Saban is so great, too. It used to be defense and then traditional run run the football, conservative offense. And, you know, a few years back, Brian Dable came in, and then now you've got Steve Sarkeesian, who's leaving. In, in between, you had uh, enough chances to, to change the offense and make it a modern college football offense. And they did. 
And Mac Jones last night, 464 yards, five touchdowns. Nobody was really talking about him. They were talking about Devontae Smith, who in the first half had 215 yards receiving and three touchdowns. The Heisman Trophy winner got hurt early second half, but it didn't matter much. Jalen Waddell came back. He had a broken foot earlier in the year, and it was obvious he wasn't right. Still had three catches. Najee Harris, I, I think, is going to be a heck of an NFL runner. You know, you take a team like the Steelers who finds him in the second round, build that offensive lineup, all of a sudden in the next seven years, you've got a very good running back situation. Think of the wide receiver room last year at Alabama. Devontae Smith's going to be a top 10 pick, I believe. Waddle's a top 20 pick. Last year, there were two top 15 picks in Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. That group, in my opinion, is the best position group, skill position group, in college football history. I mean, there are a lot of position groups that you can look at. The Notre Dame offensive line a few years ago when Zach Martin was there, McGlitchy was there, the kid from the Colts, the guard who's Quentin Nelson, who's probably the best guard in football. I mean, that's just a phenomenal offensive line in college. Just absolutely ridiculous offensive line you look back in the day at some of the running back tandems you know when marcus allen was blocking for ricky bell or was it charles white charles white i think ricky bell left and then charles white took over and marcus allen was the fullback then go to penn state when uh franco harris was the fullback and, and lydell mitchell was the tailback notre dame with uh reggie brooks and uh and uh, the bus, Jerome Bettis. It's just crazy. It's just crazy some of these groups that you had. But the reality is this Alabama wide receiver group, I think, is the deepest group of college football athletes to go to the pros that there's ever been. I know Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham were teammates, and there were other pro players on that team. I just think this is better. I really do. So Alabama, they win it again. And guess what? You want to do a way too early prediction? Alabama's in the final four next year as well. And, and props to college football for getting this in. You know, the SEC, they were going to play no matter what. The ACC decided to play as well. Pac-12 wasn't going to play. The Big 12 wasn't going to play. Big 10, certainly not. You know, with the coronavirus and all the things that went on, it's just, look, corona is going to be part of us, I think, for a while. And I think this is one of those, you actually provided safety to the players by playing the season because now they get tested. They're much more held accountable with their comings and goings than a traditional college student would be. So I think it was the right thing to do to play the season. And the fact that, you know, here we are on January 12th saying that this has happened, it's just, I think it's a great thing. Baseball news. My New York Mets. Yeah, that's right. My New York Mets made a big trade last week. They pick up Francisco Lindor and Carrasco from the Indians. Carrasco, I think, very underrated piece of this deal. Talking about a guy who's got the ability to give them well, if they play 162, which they, they're they not because the owners suck, they're going to probably play about 110 games. 
So if that's the case, you might get 22, 23 starts out of Carrasco, and I think that's huge. The Mets needed starting pitching. They got it. They needed star power. They got it. The offseason the Mets have had with the new ownership group, Sandy Alderson coming back to run the baseball operations, this is a completely different organization than it was before. Steve Cohen has multi-billions of dollars that he's not willing to spend all of, but willing to spend enough to make this team competitive. You know, During his introductory press conference, he said, I want a championship in three to five years. Well, guess what? When Sandy Alderson came back with him, guess what he told Sandy? Three to five years, pal, let's go. And the Mets are trying to make that deal. They give up Meta Rosario, a very talented player who so far hasn't put that talent. The talent hasn't reached the production level necessary. Andre Simenez, we saw him last year in the shortened season, was a very good prospect coming up, very good shortstop defensively. The kind of player that makes the right plays all the time, so that's good. But what you're really looking at is Francisco Lindor. This guy's got a career OPS of 833. He's great defensively. And more importantly, I think, for this Mets team, he's a personality. He's he's a star. And he is fun and happy to be in New York. Take a listen. And I'm looking forward to see how wild he gets and, and playing against um, the Yankees. And, and, and hopefully we... We, we come on top and, and we've seen how the city turns into um, blue and orange. Yeah, it's not about being better than the Yankees, though. Every Met fan hopes they are. It's about being one of the best teams in the National League. And the National League East is very good. Philly's still very strong. Atlanta's great. The Marlins' young talent is coming along. There's a lot of reasons to like the National League East. And you still got to deal with the Dodgers and the Padres out West. So the National League is, is very good. Syracuse basketball, they had an interesting week. They played Pittsburgh on Wednesday afternoon. And it was not a good performance. When you blow an 18-point lead, it doesn't look good. In that game, Buddy Beheim just 3 of 12 from the floor to a 10 from 3. Joe Girard. The third, three of 11 from the floor, two of eight. When Buddy plays well, Gerard plays better. I know that's a simplification and an oversimplification, but if Buddy's making his shots, which he needs to do better, he's he struggled up until Saturday's Georgetown game. He struggled pretty much all year long shooting the ball. And, and it's surprising because he's got such a perfect stroke. You would think... That wouldn't be the case. But when he struggles offensively, it seems Gerard tries to do too much offensively to make up for it. Therefore, he struggles offensively. When Buddy shoots the ball well, takes some of the pressure off Gerard, and he can let the game come to him, which he did on Saturday. Buddy was 9 of 18, 3 of 6 from 3. He had 21 points against Georgetown. Gerard, 6 of 11, 3 of 4 from 3. Again, you take better shots, you make better decisions. Gerard also had eight assists to go with his 18 points in that game. They played North Carolina tonight. and You know, North Carolina, it's funny, over the last couple of years, Roy Williams hasn't done a good job. 
and I he's recruited well. Last year, he got Cole Anthony to come in and ruin his team for him. And Cole Anthony was a player that everyone wanted. But in my opinion, he ruined that team last year. Well, this year's not going all that much better. It's an interesting game tonight. And I would have thought, you know, going into the year that Syracuse couldn't compete with Carolina. I think they can, and I think they can win this game. They need to shoot it well. They need to take care of the ball. And they need to get Marek Dolezal a new tooth. He, he lost his tooth with about a minute left against Georgetown. And what was pretty funny is he tried to run off the floor. Bayheim wouldn't let him. Bayheim said after the game back in the day, they would have done that on purpose. My favorite thing was I saw on social media this week was Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard did a little video mocking the fact that Marek lost his tooth. And they put out on Twitter that they want a T-shirt with Marek's face with the missing tooth. Marek's a hockey player. He just happens to be 6'10 and wears shorts and a Syracuse basketball jersey instead. But came back in the game and played the final minute. So nobody's ever going to judge or question Marek's toughness after he took a charge from Zion. Not only did he do that, he played with missing the tooth. So really good stuff. We'll be interested in that Carolina game to, to see how that goes. Well, a year ago today, I found out that my radio job was no longer my radio job. Get a call in the morning. Hey, your services are no longer needed. You're no longer welcome. We've been doing this since about March, early early March, late February, almost a year now. And I just wanted to take a second to thank everybody who's been listening. Keep me going and uh, give me a reason to, to get up and talk sports with you all. I appreciate the support and look forward to next week. And let's hope. We're talking about another Bills victory. Go Bills. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.